0: Jim Collison, we're live from Infotech 2016 here in Omaha. We've been interviewing the keynote and session leaders, session speakers, Uh, for the afternoon. I'm here with Chris Sullivan. And Chris, welcome to the interview.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Good to have you here. Uh, Let's get to know you a little bit. Tell us kind of who you are, where you're from, what you do, those kinds of things, just so folks get to know you.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So I am the founder and CEO at Use Agility. It's a user experience design firm. Uh, We specialize in designing complex business products, um, websites, Mobile applications, SaaS-based systems. So um, we, I kind of start by saying also what we don't do. We're not marketing. Uh, we don't do advertising <laughs> or digital. Digital. We're not really a digital agency. We help companies. We partner with um, product managers and with the development teams and companies to help them build, um, simplify their products and build stuff that actually works.
0: That's really cool. And so, you know, when we think about the user experience. How challenging has that been, now that everything is moving small, how challenging is that to go from, we've had to kind of go from the web to totally mobile, and there's some even newer forms coming out when we think about virtual reality and some of those. Yeah. So how challenging is that just on the, when we think about the phones, does that require kind of a switch in the way you're thinking, or... How does that work?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Because we follow a a process called user-centered design. And it really puts the user at the center of the design process. Um, So we're constantly thinking, putting ourselves in those shoes, um, designing concepts, and then testing them and iterating them with users. Um, And so when you think about... um, you know how a user is consuming something, whether it's at a desktop or on a watch uh, or on their phone, um, the process that we follow to kind of create things that work is the same. I will say um, that keeping up with standards as far as interaction design standards for um, mobile, app, you know, native mobile apps. Um, as well as for, you know, other devices it is it's tough to do if you're not living in that world every day. Um, so that's something I really have to challenge. Um, we challenge our clients uh, and the, the designers and the developers who are our client's office, and as well as my own designers, to just be out there using stuff constantly. Because um, we know the process of what it takes to kind of absorb what we need to know about how people behave and use devices. But really being on the cutting edge of that new technology or the new, um, whatever's the you know, newly enabled by technology itself, and is becoming a standard. Keeping track of that and being able to recall it and use it—it's tough unless yeah. you're doing it every day.
0: Well, and the form factors—I think of you—and I'm wearing a Microsoft Band two, uh-huh. which has is very different than a Pebble, which is very different from the than Apple's Watch. Yeah. And and that wearables is seems they seem it's sticking. It's going somewhere, right? I think we're going to have wearables, so you guys are challenged. Uh, in the future, here, right? Uh, uh, yes, definitely.
1: You know, I think about. Uh, I'm from. We, we're in Kansas City, so we're we proudly serve. Uh, I, I say on our website, even we proudly serve uh, Kansas City, the Silicon Prairie, and beyond. Um, but you know, Garmin uh, is yeah. in our neck of the woods, yeah. and um, you know they're really um, leading in the space of wearables. And um, the amount of uh, you know the design expertise they need to have on hand, and how much time they must spend testing with people on those devices, pretty
0: amazing. yeah. And I I wear one of those. I have a Garmin 220. Which is a running watch that that uh, has got a they uh, written completely. When you think it's not smart, it's smart, but it's not the way we think it's smart. In other words, written at a software level that's a little bit lower than than our than this level here. Mm-hmm. And so they even have a bigger challenge because they don't have all the useful tools. When you think of UI, they're dealing with much less UI to save battery.
1: Yeah, right? limited so, space. Yeah. Um, you know, limited number of controls. Um, right. Right. So uh, it's good, good challenge.
0: It is. What are you speaking on here today? What, what, what brought you to Infotech?
1: Well, I am uh, talking today about user-driven innovation. So, uh, when we are challenged uh, with the opportunity to innovate, um, you know, how do we, how do we do that? Do we do that as a company, kind of internally and closed, and assume that we know what the problem statement is and we know how to solve it? Or do we follow more of a user-centered design or user-driven innovation process yeah. um, where we're hypothesizing a problem statement, and then we're going to go out and talk to users and kind of validate that and poke holes in it, and then actually revise the problem statement to make sure that we're solving the right problem. That's, you know, uh, you got to be solving the right problem or you'll never get to the right solution. Right. So uh, right. that's kind of what I was talking about today. Yeah.
0: Listen to your audience. That's kind of in the podcasting mm-hmm. world. That's what we say. Who's your audience and are you listening to them? Mm-hmm. Are there some methods that are better that you're finding when in getting that feedback from companies or there's some methods that work better than others
1: yeah definitely it's interesting that you say that Um, you know my background is in um, technology product development technology design and so I was using um, using that as an example it can also apply to to services or processes that you're innovating but um, for instance something that that works When you're doing research, conducting research with end users, one-on-one interviews is by far a better methodology to use than focus groups. Um, Sometimes I talk about the F word. F word.
0: (laughs) F being for focus, right?
1: (laughs) Sorry. No,
0: you're good. just want to make sure Uh, we don't have to put an explicit rating on this. Right.
1: Focus groups, the F word. Uh, Focus groups um, can be good for, for initial product marketing concept feedback, but once you get to a design that you're testing, um, or you you know you really it's better to do one-on-one interviews so maybe your users are your employees in your company set up 30-minute sessions with them and go sit with them um, ask them how they use the software tool ask them to show you how they like to use it maybe ask them to show you a competitor that they like and and you learn so much more and then you can kind of line all those interviews up and see the trends coming out of it it's really hard to get your arms around trends in a group think focus group so that's just a little example of a kind of a a practical tactical thing that we can all do
0: I think it's a good one we get uh, feedback on our platforms from our users directly I have uh, social responsibilities and I've been kind of, I'm in this the groups all the time, so they know they can talk to me. Mm-hmm. I don't even ask for feedback anymore. They just give it to me, mm-hmm. uh, which knows you're at least reaching the right audience at that point. And so is that, if I'm taking that feedback, that natural feedback that comes in and grouping it and kind of saying, hey, guys, we're, I'm seeing some trend problems in this. Is that the same thing or do I have to intentionally go out? And, and interview ten people and do it that way. What's the difference between the two?
1: Well, I think that um, you really you kind of want to identify the, a purpose for your research. So, um, are you trying to find out if um, the way that you've redesigned your uh, your corporate intranet, if it's the right design? Um, you don't want to just sit back and let feedback come in come into you because you're not really sure that it's representative. Um, and, um, and so have a purpose to your, to your research. And then when you have a purpose, you kind of want a little bit of a plan outlined on how you're going to get it. Yeah, um, and that's back to kind of the one-on-one sessions. If you want to get, um, if you want to just get attitudinal, general attitudinal feedback, you can ask open-ended questions. But if you want to find out if something's usable, if it actually works, you need to do task-based research, where you're actually giving the user the the website or the product or the prototype and asking them to conduct tasks and then just watching them, so you're really observing their behavior. Sometimes observing behavior is much more insightful than actually listening to what people say. Because people will say, "Oh yeah, that looks yeah. great. I love that." And then you say, "Well, um, show me how you would get to uh, the place where you'd find out what job postings are listed across your company on the corporate." Well, um, I don't know. Here? No, I don't know. I don't know. I can't find it. So observation is really, um, observation is important. Having intent behind kind of your research so you can be sure to answer the questions.
0: Facebook does a lot of this automatically now. They're Mm -hmm. always testing with you and throwing out new things. It's oftentimes you don't even know Mm -hmm. you're doing it. In that world, that's not one-on-one. Right? That's kind of big, gigantic focus groups, mm-hmm. yet they've had some pretty good success. How does that fall into when, we, when we're doing user... and the users don't know we're doing user testing yet <laughs> yeah. against them, and yet... They get some pretty good numbers back oh, yeah. as far as that. Can, what's, any any yeah, thoughts you know, on that's that? That's really
1: more kind of quantitative analysis and optimization. So we're looking at maybe A-B testing. Um, does a certain page or message perform better than another? Um, and that's where you know, re- you're know you doing really this testing in a live environment um, and gathering information behind the scenes on what produces the best business outcome. Um, and so you know that's something, um, the, the kind of research I was talking about in the innovation stage today was maybe very early concept stage when you're just formulating your, your idea. Um, but once you launch that idea and it's out there, you want to constantly optimize. And that's where this kind of, um, live A-B testing and then kind of um, quantifying metrics on what works best um, is a great way to continue to evolve your product forward. okay
0: so a little bit earlier in the process as is, is we, we get to them test some things out yeah. maybe even in the wireframe trying yeah. to put some some pieces together exactly um, so uh, use agility works you guys have worked with a bunch of different companies when we think of uh, since it's startup week and we're kind of talking <laughs> about startups here who have you worked with in the startup space and what kind of experience has that been around startups
1: yeah, you know, we have a breadth of, uh, of companies. Our, our, uh, our sweet spot tends to be in that kind of mid-size technology company. Uh work with a few, whoops, excuse me, oh, you're good. really uh, <laughs> large companies, but then also um, startups as well. Um, later this month, I'm actually going to be at the uh, with the tech stars at the Sprint. Um,
0: um, in, in Kansas City? Yes,
1: at the Sprint. That's uh, oh, yeah, oh, okay. Oh. Um, yeah. But kind of coaching and offering uh, offering some one-on-one sessions for them uh, as far as the user experience design. Um, a really cool startup we worked with um, recently is um, called Pomco. They're not actually from around here, although some people from here are associated with them. Um, but it's a campus security device. So there's a key fob um, that that uh, students carry that attaches to their the app on their phone, Um, those connect, and if you get into trouble, all you have to do is click your key fob, it connects to your phone, and calls Family security so so you know where they are. Um, We've also worked with um, startups that are uh, in the, um, you know, we've worked with some funded startups that are kind of roll-offs of larger companies, so where they want to kind of spin off um, something that's a little bit different from what they do. Um, and so we also worked with a company uh, called Briefcase that was also out of uh, one of the Kansas City um, incubators as well.
0: Cool. Yeah, you know, startups always start, when when they start, they're very simple. One idea, maybe two. Uh, very clean and crisp. They have great success. And then inevitably, they add more features. They get more complicated. It adds to the UI, right? It, it, gets, it gets more complex. How do you advise in, in some of these spaces, to, to, hey, you were good at this, stay good at this, and not necessarily move on. Or maybe they should. But is there that space there where sometimes they outgrow, the the, the UI that made them great, now has become so cumbersome that people can't use it? Yeah. And do you advise in any of those situations at all?
1: We do. And that happens not just with startups, but with large companies as well that, you know, uh, see opportunities and have feature proliferation to the point where um, people can't figure out how to do you know the thing that they first yeah. came to do, um, and we do advise in that space. And I think it's a matter of um, strategic uh, decision making by the product manager and the business owner to say, you know, what what do we want to do? Do we think we can um, meet multiple needs and, and create that, have it be usable and market and sell it effectively? Um, but a kind of getting back to another um, user centered design principle that we talked about this morning in the innovation workshop is. Um, to really listen to listen to the users' needs, because sometimes users ask for enhancements or features, and um, instead of just adding those willy-nilly, um, listen to them and then understand maybe root cause. Because sometimes the root there's a root cause that if you solve it, it it so, it it meets the demands that you know three new features would have done uh, in a more elegant and mm-hmm. simple simplified way. Yeah. So what you want to do is interpret what you're hearing right. from users with a business mind and with right. a design mind um, so that instead of just um, tacking on five new features because people asked for it you're really being intentional and you're filtering that and making strategic decisions. Yeah
0: no that's great taking a step back and adding a layer of, of analysis in there mm-hmm. to say hey instead of just this feature like what what are they really trying to get at right? Right. where are they really right. trying to go and what are they really trying to get and sometimes i think uh, i see this all the time uh, we sometimes we get users who go wouldn't it be cool if we could have they do not really they're not really serious right they just right right? They just, they want to tack on features that they want to look or appear smart. Mm -hmm. And I think you Mm -hmm. need to, don't you need to filter some of that out too? You have to have a filter.
1: And so the business needs to have a filter that says, you know, what are our criteria? What are our revenue drivers? Because what we want to do is spend our time and money with features that are going to push revenue. What converts people to buy or what converts engagement? Um, And and really put that business filter yeah. on what we ought to do so that you know when we're designing and adding to products, we know that it's hitting the bottom line yeah. in a positive way.
0: It's super hard though, right? Because sometimes those most engaged users are the ones who bring those ideas. And then because they're the most engaged users, they believe that should be done. And then when they don't get it, Right. They socialize that, you know, right. and, and turn other, right? I mean, right. we've seen it, that happen a is, lot. It is. It's hard. And, yeah. you know, so
1: I'm doing um, surveys, collecting feedback, and kind of looking at it a little more quantitatively can help kind of give you that gut check, uh, make sure that your gut check is right and that you're listening to, um, you know, you're doing the 80-20 rule. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. And, and putting your eggs in the right basket.
0: We, we had a user in a foreign country that has less than a million people ask for some functionality to be done to purchase an item, which would only be they would we would sell literally one item in that country. And it's hard to say no to that customer. And then they're pretty vocal in the group like, hey, I can't get it here. And so it's tough. And I think you have that that institutional discipline at times. Like you said, revenue doesn't create. And it's hard to tell those users sometimes like, you know, I'm sorry, we're putting revenue in front of you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, that doesn't feel very good. You don't say it that way. No, course, but... I mean
1: I think that you know designers, user experience designers, product designers, people who are passionate about their products, um, they have a lot of empathy for their end users. It's hard to say no when you can empathize so much with what they really, really want to do. Um, and you know that's where you kind of you you have a roadmap and you talk about where those things may or may not fit into the roadmap, um, and you try to invite those end users in to participate productively. Um, in other ways, still that that may you know be meaningful to them and, and help them out.
0: Yeah, no, it's a challenge nonetheless, yep, right? Is. It's one of those for challenges sure. to sure. to keep everyone engaged. And especially and, with
1: startups, it's easy to get distracted, you right. know, by those things. Yeah, and hard to stay focused on your original purpose.
0: I know, and doing it and doing it well. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you just really feel like you're headed in the right direction, and it's hard when you've got users, you know, the yeah. uh, yeah. yeah. you for that. Mm-hmm. So when we think about talent, at Gallup, we are short software developers. So we created our own high school internship program around software developers. Mm -hmm. In the world of design, in Omaha or maybe down in Kansas City, are we doing the right things to develop that talent, that talent pipeline? And if we're not, how could we be?
1: Yeah, it's such a great question. Uh, I was at um, a meeting of, of business owners a couple weeks ago, um, in kansas city that uh, was sponsored by casey next and there was a panel talking about the real talent gap um, and that you know a majority of students who are kind of coming out of stem related you know engineering math and science are international students yes. which is wonderful But how do we get more of our local students to identify with a career in technology and then to take the right steps you know, back in middle school, elementary school, high school, and college to get there. Um, I, I think that we're beginning to get traction around coding. Um, and there's a, there seems to be, a, and robotics and engineering, I'm yep. seeing a lot yep. of that. Yep. Um, I'm seeing a gap, I guess, because, you know, I'm constantly looking for great designers and design thinkers and problem solvers uh, on more of the technology design side. I think we have a huge gap. Um, and aren't, uh, a lot of uh, young people don't understand that they can have a career in technology that's not coding. Yeah. Um, That they can have a career in designing and figuring out how this functions, uh, interaction design and visual design. Um, And so talking with people about this at a younger age, and introducing them to all of the disciplines that are needed, not just coding, I think is important. Um, Also, you know, um, women make pretty good designers. Yeah. And and, um, I know a lot of really great men designers also. Yeah. Um, But you know, women are empathetic. Uh, they they're they're a lot of times good communicators yep. and good listeners. Sometimes sense the
0: need before and you know yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so, um,
1: it's an area. I mean, women have been behind in the technology mm-hmm. scene um, it, it, tremendously. So, no. and and maybe yeah. design is an opportunity to pull them back in to be a part of this um, ecosystem.
0: Yeah, so much so, as our group grows, we're actually thinking about creating a design section. And so we'll have coders, developers, software developers, right? That's our need, and so that'll always be the biggest section. But... We're beginning to think okay if how could we do an early an early identification of design maybe I'll ask you that question yeah. is, think about that yes, for a second yes. but how would we do early identification of this talent mm-hmm. uh, at the high school level and then we'll add that in and that the the the, the design folks will do a lot of the, that work that they need to do for our coders our developers will then develop that. That's right. right. And then we'll also start looking for project management, management talent out of those kids as well. Absolutely. So it's areas ready. So give me if I was going to think about how would I do some early identification, what are some ways, mm-hmm. just off the top of your head mm-hmm. in high school, what would I look for, do mm-hmm. you
1: think? I think that um, critical thinking and problem-solving skills are at the heart of design. Uh, I think people think of design a lot. uh, When they think of design, I think of the visual design, the creative aspect, the colors, the graphics, the font, the look and feel. Um, That's important um, for in technology space. But design really is deeper than that. It's how does something function. It's how how do you move through a product or a website or a mobile device. Um, how does a user you know engage with something? And I, I really think that getting at some at some problem solving skills would be a way yeah. to assess. And maybe it's um, both kind of uh, assessing um, a person's intuitive desire to problem solve mm-hmm. and to think about things in many different ways. Um, And finding a way to package that up. I like that idea. And Usagility would like to work with you on solving that idea.
0: Good. Well, let's let's, (laughs) let's see what we can do. We're excited about it. We've had 40 kids in our high school program, Omaha kids, in our program last year. We're uh, rewriting all the software and we hope to have 75 join us this year. We think we can do that. You have to retool. We were scalable up to 40. We had two rooms that hold 25. The room that we're moving into, talk about problem solving, the room that we're going to move into will fit 150. So we're good for two more iterations of this as we grow. But. But we had to rethink, okay, now if we've got all the kids in the same room, what can they work on? Talk about a design, right? Mm-hmm. So they're going through some processes of figuring out, now how do we scale this out to the next level? You
1: know, one of the things that uh, I think really important for people as they're learning is hands-on experience. Um, you know, so maybe you could partner with... Um, a company or, or, you know, to kind of get uh, students out in a practical, real-world yeah. environment where they can be working on projects and kind of hands-on um, while other groups are back in that classroom space. And then, I don't know, some creative yeah. no, uh, sharing some of interesting. stuff. Interesting.
0: <laughs> one of the things the students, uh, so 14 high school students will be on campus for the summer working six weeks uh, that we pay them to be on. And they're going to be working on this new platform, one of the things. And, We're hoping to add to get their input on this thing and say, Mm -hmm. okay, if you're going to, some of you are going to work on this again next year, how would we design it and Mm -hmm. build it in a way, the code stuff they'll work on, but how do we build it in a way that we can get maximum effectiveness of everybody in the room at the same time Mm -hmm. with a combination of BYOD, as well as we'll provide some devices Mm -hmm. uh, for some of the students. So Mm -hmm. we've got a little design challenge ahead.
1: Good. (laughs) I'm confident that you're going to solve
0: it. It'll be tons of fun. And uh, it's fun to each year kind of change it to make it grow. Yeah, uh, We started with just um, 17 kids our first year. And yeah, it's so it's amazing. been fun to do it. We've just, uh, because we think high schoolers need a shot at this. And you mentioned this earlier. We're going to back the bus up to junior high here this fall and do some innovation events at, at junior highs yeah. in the Omaha area and see if we can't keep these kids. The numbers say they drop off in junior high. That's when we lose them. Sixth grade, fifty-fifty diversity is great. When we talk mm-hmm. about STEM, mm-hmm. and seventh grade, it just flushes out. So, well, we got I have some uh, to do. I have
1: two junior high-aged uh, children, there you go. and uh, so you know there is something that happens in that stage where they are they're forming uh, opinions and decisions about what they think they may want to do someday, mm-hmm. um, and and uh, even those with a lot of opportunity, you know, given to them. Um, being able to be afforded to them by their parents and their schools, they still don't have visibility to the different jobs and opportunities that are available to them. Uh, So taking that message out and saying people, hey, did you know that there's such a thing as a user experience designer and you get to design how something works? And here's a little project that would test whether this is interesting to you. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, we're excited about it. We think that's a, that's, a, that's a good way to go. I think so. it's
1: incredibly important work uh, that's going on oh, to thanks. set the stage for uh, the future of, of businesses who need people, qualified, skilled mm-hmm. people to hire. Doing,
0: doing that work. Yeah, we think it's super important. And so um, at Gallup, we do everything ourselves first and make sure it works. And then we we go out and consult on that as well. Um, last question for you, where do you think the future is going? Next five years as we think ahead in design, are there trends out there that you're seeing that will change in the next five years or is this pretty much just iterations of the same thing going forward when we think about design?
1: Well, um, you know, there's, there's so many topics about design. I, and two things are kind of coming to mind. I mean, one is, we kind of mentioned this earlier, um, the way that people are going to be controlling and er interacting with things is much different. Um, Gesture-based controls uh, for things that you don't even touch, Um, you know, voice command and voice prompt, I think, is going to continue to be something that um, you're going to see more and more of. Um, uh, The the other side of the kind of, if I'm thinking about UX trends, um, There, I think that there will be, uh, continue to just be an evolution of. An under, uh, of organ- technology organizations understanding and applying user-centered design uh, so that they won't just be saying, I have a user experience designer, get that person, here's where you live, um, but it'll really be kind of an infused part of an organization that you think about the end user and involve them throughout the life cycle of, uh, of the product development process. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that's really going to continue to be a trend.
0: Cool. Yeah, I'm excited. We just think about the Internet of Things, right? And when we think about all the pieces that are coming with IOT and you know last year that was a big topic and it's kind of settled down oh, yeah. which means we're out, we're off the Gartner the Gartner hype cycle and we're on right, our way down right. which means things are just getting interesting yeah. <laughs> you know at that point and so right. uh, when we think of uh, from thermostats to sensors uh, when we come in the house to proximity gates to some of those kinds of things that tell us what we're doing and how we're doing mm-hmm. it and I think of uh, even an Amazon uh, echo device that yeah. only responds to a voice. Exactly. Which is interesting, yeah. Right? Well, and in Kansas City,
1: the there's the Cisco Smart Cities um, project that's going on, mm-hmm. and um, kind of a living lab uh, to kind of build out, figure out how they can uh, use kind of all those sensors that are uh, uh, built in, and and kind of ideate and yeah. build new 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 innovations uh, around that as well. Yeah,
0: well, and all the data that comes with that too. That's right. Right. How do we mine through that and get intelligence mm-hmm. things out of those? So. Well, Chris, thank you for taking a few minutes. It goes very fast, it doesn't does. it? Well, it goes I very get to fast. talking. And, yeah, yeah, I know it's great. I appreciate <laughs> it. we we'll remind everyone, if you're watching live, uh, just hang tight and move down to the next video. And Joe will be up next. And we want to say thanks for watching. And Chris, thanks again.
1: Yeah, you're welcome.